0: this is for Sunday of Parsha's Toldos, the first portion of Toldos. So we begin here, Toldos is about Isaac and his children. So the opening verses, and these are the children of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Abraham gave birth to Isaac. So you would think that, well, to say his children, it doesn't say his children, how it goes into this whole story about him and then the prayers and what happened and the conception and the pregnancy. The so Rashi says, no, when it says these are the offsprings, it means Jacob and Aesop, Jacob and Aesop, that we're going to speak about them later. In other words, Rashi understands "toldos," the Hebrew word as children. So he says, yes, in this portion, we're going to talk about the children, but they're mentioned later. Other commentators this word told us means the chronicles, the events of one's life. And therefore, all the following verses are talking about the chronicles of Isaac. So it said here, these are the offspring of Isaac, the son of Abraham. Then Abraham begot Isaac. What does this mean? It just said, Isaac, the son of Abraham. Why does it have to repeat itself and say, Abraham begot Isaac? The one explanation, Rashi says, is that the verse is clarifying that only after God named him Abraham, first he was Avram and then he became Avraham, only after he was named Abraham did he have Isaac. That's the first answer. Second answer is that the the mockers in that generation, you have them in every generation, ours and in every generation, people that just make fun and knock other people that, oh, you really think Abraham is the father of this baby? Here, Sarah was with Abraham for years, never had a baby, and then she's taken by Abimelech, and suddenly she's pregnant. Obviously, Abimelech is a father. So what did God do? He made Isaac's face look exactly mirror image of Abraham, so everyone attested Abraham begot Isaac. And that's what it's saying here. There's evidence that truly Abraham begot Isaac. Um, the next verse. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, daughter of the um, from Aram, from Padanaram, Aram, sister of Lavan, as a wife for himself. So, Rashi explains, I don't know it was 40, what's the in 40, that, as I actually explained earlier in previous time, that, when Abraham came back from the binding of Isaac, he was informed that Rebekah was born. At that point, Isaac was 37 years old. How do we know he was 37? Because right at the binding of Isaac, as we discussed, Sarah passed away. And it says clearly that she passed away at 127. And we know she was 90 when he was born. So if she was 90 when he was born, and she passed away at 127, that means at this point, at the binding of Isaac, Isaac is 37. He was 37 when Rebecca was born. At this point, Abraham waits three years. He can't, can't take a new more baby. So Abraham waits three years when Rebecca is three, and we discussed three was like old enough, so to speak. And at three, he married her. Obviously, as we discussed, her three wasn't our three. Don't look at your three-year-old and start wondering. Remember, she already had the ability to take the camel, to be watered, and to... Answer very intelligently to all of the questions, and she was asked if she wanted to get married. She knew exactly what she was doing. She was riding a camel herself. <laughs> she was she was very, very independent three year old. So don't at all try to think of it as our three, but at this point, she was able to be independent to be married. So that's three years after the binding of Isaac, which means if he was 37 then, now he's 40. Now the verse says she's daughter of Suel, so well, she's from Padan Aram, she's sister of Lavan. We know all this already. What's what's the verse repeating itself for? The Rashi says this is to emphasize her greatness. Look at her. She's a daughter of a completely wicked person. She's a sister of a wicked person. She's from a place of wicked people, and she's so pure. She didn't learn from any of their behaviors. It's the place she was came from was called Padan Aram. Um, and Rashi explains that there were two Arams two places that have the name Aram. One was Aram Naharaim, and one was Aram Tsova. So the scripture calls it Padan Aram. Padan means like a pair. So it's the pair of Arams, because we have here these two Arams. Another explanation is Padan in the language of Ishmael, in the Arabic language, means a field. So Padan Aram means the field of Aram. next verse says, and and Isaac prayed to God opposite his wife because she was barren. And God allowed himself to be entreated by him and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. So Rashi explains the meaning of the word attar, entreated. He, he importuned with much, much prayer. And God allowed himself to be entreated by him. He allowed himself to speak to be persuaded by him from all of his praying. It says, opposite his wife, meaning each woman stood in a corner and prayed. Isaac prayed in one corner, Rebecca prayed in the other corner. But the verse says, and he allowed himself to be treated by him, meaning God listened to the prayers of Isaac more than the prayers of Rebecca. It didn't say God allowed himself to be treated by them, or God allowed himself to be treated by her, but God allowed himself to be treated by him. So why? They were both completely righteous, saintly people. But Rashi says, because Isaac was a saint, the son of a saint. He was a completely righteous person, the son of a completely righteous person. So therefore he had even more merits than Rebecca, who was a completely righteous person, but the child of a wicked person. Now, of course, this completely depends on, if you will, the situation. From a certain perspective, someone who's completely righteous and the child of wicked parents is even more virtuous Because look where she came from and look what she is. Well, you know, Isaac came from pure holy people. Of course, he's Isaac. Look where Rebecca came from. Look what she is. So from that angle, Rebecca has an advantage over Isaac. But if you're talking about merit, Isaac had not only his merits he was pulling on, but the merits of his holy parents. And that's why his prayers were so, so powerful. Um, And the children were fighting inside of her or crushed inside of her. And she said, if so, why is it that I am? And she went to inquire of God. So Rashi explains, gives two explanations. So what does this mean? So the Hebrew word is viz So first Rashi says it's from the, the root word rutz, to run. Because when she had passed by places of Torah study, of Shem and aver it's as if Jacob would run, toss about, because he wanted to go to La Torah. And if she passed by a place of idol worship, Asaph would toss about to get out. Like, what do I have? I have this crazy kid inside of me. Well, what does he want? Or another explanation, Ms. from that word is struggling, that the two are fighting in the womb over the inheritance of this world and the inheritance of the world to come. So she said, if so, this meaning this pain of pregnancy is so great, why is it that I am? What was I am praying so much for pregnancy? Not meaning she didn't want to have the child, but meaning like something very strange is going on here. What's what's with this child inside of me? She went to inquire. So says she went to the study house of Shaman Aver. Of course, one could say, what did she need to go there for? She could have asked her husband, Isaac. She could have asked her father-in-law, Abraham, you know, why'd she go to Shaman Aver? And some say she didn't, like, she didn't want to it was bad news, she didn't need them to hear it also, so to speak. So she went to someone else to, to find out what's going on. And God said to her, two nations are in your womb, two regimes from your inside shall be separated, and one regime shall become strong from the other regime, and the elder shall serve the younger. So this is what God said to her. So it says, and God said to her, Rashi explains, through the messenger, meaning God told us to shame, and shame told us to her. They said two nations are in your womb. Now, the word is spelled defectively. It's not spelled like nations. It's actually spelled with two U. It's game. Two proud ones. And Rashi says, these are Antonina and Ravi Huda Hanasi. And why are they called the, the proud ones? Because they had something which might not impress us nowadays. But it says that letters and radish was always found at their tables. Meaning, even during a time when it wasn't seasonal, they had these produce all year round. So it shows their enormous wealth. Um, and to Ninus, Rabbi Huda Hanassi, there are many stories about them. They had uh, a very deep relationship, and it, it says in the Talmud, of the depth of the relationship and the impact of Rabbi Huda Hanassi, had on Antoninus, and um, it's actually interesting because in secular sources, Antoninus is viewed as like the ultimate uh, paragon of virtue, like the ultimate philosopher, scholar, warrior that Rome produced. And in Talmudic writings, Antoninus is viewed as such an honorable non-Jew, from the tremendous impact that Rabbi Huda HaNasi had on him. So Antoninus, why do we speak of Antoninus and Rabbi Huda Because Antoninus, the Roman, is the descent of Aesop. Rabbi Huda HaNasi is obviously the descent of Jacob. So that was a rare example of Jacob and Aesop, descendants, at peace with each other. Two regimes. Tarash's so regime means kingdoms from inside shall be separated, meaning already in the womb they're separated. One's already separated to be wicked and one's already separated to be perfect. But it's not when they emerge. Already now in the womb, they've already separated themselves. And one should become strong from the other, meaning they can never be equal in greatness. When one goes up, the other one falls. It says that Tyre, a, a, a sore, a city of the descendants of Asa was filled from the destruction of Jerusalem, meaning that it's not that we're saying one regime should be just stronger than the other. It's rather one becomes stronger from the other regime. It derives its strength at the expense of the other regime. That's what we're saying here, it's a very strong statement. When her term to beer grew full, then behold, twins in her womb. Oh, we already knew that. So Rashi says now Rashi here compares Rebecca's situation with Tamar. Tamar and Yehuda had twins also, uh, like two generations later. And Yehuda was one of the children of Jacob. Here Rebecca is pregnant with Jacob. Jacob had twelve sons, one of which was Yehuda, who had a wife Tamar. And Yehuda and Tamar, Tamar had twins, but there by Tamar. She didn't come full term because she gave birth at seven months, but these twins were full term. Which Rashi is seemingly implying was is not as good somehow. It seemed to imply something defective here. And also, something else Rashi points out is here, to Umim, twins is written defectively. It's written lacking in olive. And by Tamar, it was written. And Rashi says, because by Tamar, both of her sons were righteous. They were both a and saint. But here, one was righteous, Jacob, and one was wicked. So because of Asa's wickedness, the word twins was written defectively. So that seems to imply that Rashi is saying also the fact that here it was full and there it was less also seems to connect to that. Next verse. The first one emerged red. All of him was like a hairy mantle. So they called him Asa's. The red, Rahi says, is a sign that he's going to spill blood. All of him was like a hairy mantle. He was full of hair, like a woolen cloak, which is full of hair. So they called him Asaph. What does Asab have to do with that? Because Asaph is from the word asoi, which means fully made and complete. In other words, in terms of his hair, he was like someone much older. He was like someone made as versus like a newborn. That's what was called Asaph. He was already made. Next verse, and after that, his brother emerged with his hand grasping onto the heel of Esau, and he called his name Jacob. Isaac was six years old when she bore them. So after that, his brother emerged. So Rashi gives a whole long midrash here, which says that why was Jacob grasping Esau's heel when he was born? Because he was trying to hold him back from being coming out of the womb first. He wanted to come out first. Why did he want to come out first? So Rashi says because Jacob was formed from the first drop, and Asa from the second, which means Asa was really the second born, and Jacob was really the first born child. Now, Rashi says it's very simple. If you take a narrow tube and you put two stones in it, so obviously the one that you put in first is going to come out last, and the one you put in last is going to come out first. So therefore, Asa, who was formed afterwards, is emerging first. So Jacob is holding on his heel to prevent him from emerging, because Jacob wanted to be the first by birth since he was the first born In other words, he wanted to have the rights of the firstborn. Which, of course, is a theme we're going to see several times in the story. Now, what was the spiritual significance here that he's holding on the heel of Esau? So Rashi says it's a sign that Esau won't have a chance to end his rule before Jacob comes and takes it from him. And that's why he's holding on to the heel. The heel is the end of the body, representing the end of Esau's rule. Then the verse says he called his name Jacob, which is sort of like... Not clear. We would think it would say his father called his name. The Raja gives two answers. One is, it actually means God. That God said, listen, you give a name to your firstborn. You called your firstborn Asa. I'm going to give a name to my firstborn. Because this kid's my firstborn son. So I'm calling my firstborn son Jacob. Or the other explanation is, his father, Isaac, called him Jacob. Because he was grasping the heel. Now what does that have to do with that? In English it doesn't translate. But in the Hebrew, his name is Yaakov. And Yaakov, the root word of Yaakov is Akev, which means a heel. Now the verse says that Isaac is now 60 years old. Well, why was he 60 so old? Well, we know he was 40 when he got married. said that clearly in the verse. So when he got married, well, for 10 years, she was obviously too young to have children. She was three. So when she was 13, that's when she was of age physically to become pregnant. And then he waited for 10 years because as we already learned with Abraham and Sarah, that there's a concept of if someone is married for 10 years, they don't have children, then the woman's considered barren. So for 10 years, he was hoping she would conceive, just like his father waited for Sarah for 10 years. Now she didn't. Okay, so now he's 60. First, they waited 10 years for her to be able to be physically fit to be pregnant, and then 10 years hoping she conceived. But now what's he supposed to do? So what his father had done after, of course, Abraham and Sarah were married for many years, but it was only once they went to Israel, because they felt when they were outside Israel, it didn't count. But when they lived in Israel, after 10 years in Israel, is when Sarah said to Abraham, okay, take, take my maidservant. So following in his father's footsteps, after waiting 10 years, I mean, he was in Israel the whole time. He, he alone, of all three of our patriarchs, never stepped foot outside of Israel. As he was considered so holy since he was consecrated as an offering to God. So for 10 years he's married in Israel with his wife capable of, theoretically capable of having children, and she, she's not conceiving. So he knows he should follow his father's footsteps and take a maidservant, but he didn't want to do that because he was consecrated as an offering. So he felt that since his body was consecrated as an offering, he shouldn't take a maidservant. Even, obviously, a very holy, righteous one. This would not be appropriate. So that's when he and Rebecca started really, really, really praying to God and opportuning God, and that's when God responded, and she became pregnant, which is why, at this point, he is 60. And we are in the middle of the Humish portion. Good luck.